All right, let's open our Bibles for our scripture reading to Genesis 21. Genesis chapter 21. We'll read the first seven verses. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, which Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I borne him a son in his old age. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together. Our Father, we've gathered here together this evening out of the dry and barren world in which we live, seeking a word from Thee. Father, we've come seeking a refreshment from thy storehouses of grace. And Father, how I pray that you'd send your spirit upon us and enable us to truly worship. Enable us, Father, to to read into your word and study your word and to see Christ our Savior, to see him by faith and to rest in him, rejoice in him, to have our souls thrilled and strengthened and comforted at who our Lord Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished for his people. Father, I pray that you might use this message to strengthen us as we go back out into the world and continue through this week, continue through our journey below, that you'd feed us with your word and strengthen us, enable us to to continue on, Father, for your glory, resting in Christ our Savior. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray for your people, wherever they meet tonight, wherever your gospel's preached. Father, I pray you bless your word. Bless your word to your glory, to the good and edification of thy people. Father, use it to show us your glory in this dark and difficult day in which we live. Father, how we pray you reveal your redemptive glory to your people. Father, I thank you for this. Place. I thank you for this group of people that you've gathered together and pray for each home, each person, Father, that you'd bless our homes with your presence, with your grace, with your, with your love. Enable us, Father, to walk aright in this world, to walk after thee, to walk by faith and not by sight. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for those of your people that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. They're in deep waters with many different afflictions. Father, we pray for them. Father, we're thankful to be able to bring these cares and concerns and desires to the feet of the King of Kings who does all things well, does all things after the counsel of his own will. Father, we pray to be your will to comfort and to heal and be with your people. Now, Father, again, I pray you'd bless us as we look into your word. Give us a refreshment from the storehouses of your grace. 
For it's in Christ's name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, The Savior and Salvation. There are several real good pictures in our text this evening of spiritual life. We have a picture of where spiritual life comes from, and we have a picture of the effect that that spiritual life has on in the natural life of a believer. Now, if we're going to understand anything about salvation, we're going to have to know the Savior, aren't we? We're going to have, if we're going to understand anything about salvation, people make up all kinds of things about salvation, but if we're going to understand anything about salvation, we've got to understand the God who saves his people, how and why that he does it. How is it that God saves his people from their sins and brings them that salvation? Not only does he does Christ save his people from their sin, but then the Savior brings that salvation to his people. And there are several different points in, in Isaac's life. Here his life on earth begins. But there are several different points in his life where he's a picture of Christ the Savior. And his birth is a very good picture of Christ. First of all, the birth of Isaac is a picture of, of the birth of Christ. Look at verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Now God promised the birth of Isaac long before he was born. Just like God promised that Christ would be born in the flesh. That he would be born as a man. God promised that 4,000 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. When right before Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden... God promised them the seed of woman is coming. And he's going to undo for his race what Adam did to his race. God made that promise and God always keeps his promise. Sure enough, he came. Second, God promised that he would bless his people through Isaac. Remember when, when Abraham prayed and said, oh, the Ishmael might, that might be before you. The Ish, that you might deal this way with Ishmael. And the Lord said, now I'm going to make of Ishmael a great nation. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The Messiah is coming through Isaac and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in him. What God has promised, he will bless his people through the whole world, through his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has an elect people from every nation all across this world. God has elect people, and he's called them out. He's blessed them with salvation. He's blessed them with eternal life in Christ the Savior, just exactly like he promised he would. And thirdly, the birth of Isaac was a miracle, wasn't it? Just like the birth of Christ is a miracle. We're entering into that season. That's a, People are going to be saying songs about it and thinking about it and having little manger scenes of it. The birth of Isaac and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now they're both miracles. Isaac was born to a mother who had gone through menopause many years ago. It was physically impossible for Sarah to give birth to a child. But she did by a miracle of God. Because nothing's too hard for God. But the Lord Jesus was born to a mother who was a virgin. When the angel came and told her she'd be with child, she said, that's impossible. It's physically impossible for Mary to bear a child. She knows not a man. 
Yet she gave birth as a virgin by a supernatural conception. Mary of Nazareth, this poor Jewish girl, gave birth to the Son of God in the flesh. Not just any boy baby, the Son of God in the flesh, even though she knew not a man. Now, that's a miracle if I've ever heard one. But you want to hear a greater miracle than that? Is why Christ came in the flesh. Why was Christ born in Bethlehem's manger? Why was he conceived as an embryo in the womb of Mary and born as a baby boy, just like every other baby ever born on this, on this earth? It's for this reason. Christ came in the flesh to save a sinful people who are not just only sinful, but natural born enemies of God. Christ came in the flesh to represent those people. He had to take on their nature in order to represent them. And those people were his natural born enemies. These were the very ones crying, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And yet he still died for those sinful, dead, vile people that he might give them life and bring them to God. Now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And to bring it right down to where the rubber meets the road. This is the greatest miracle I've ever heard of. The Son of God became flesh. He obeyed God's law. He went to the cross. He suffered and died and was made sin to save me. That's a miracle. And then fourth... The birth of Isaac brought great joy. So did the birth of our Lord, didn't it? Look at verse 7, or 6, I'm sorry, 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. I think we all get at least some understanding of Sarah's joy at giving birth to this baby boy. We get some understanding of that. Well, just think of the joy that we have because Christ came to save sinners. If Christ was not born as a, as a baby, a real man in, in Bethlehem, if he did not grow to the, the strength of life and sacrifice himself for the sin of his people, we'd have no good news to tell sinners. Unless Christ came in the flesh. We'd have no reason for joy. We'd have no reason to have any hope of eternal life if Christ had not been born in the flesh. That's the very reason the angels sang joy to the world when Christ came. Peace is now on earth. We would have none of that good news. We'd have no reason for that joy unless Christ was born. And Christ the Savior, He came and He accomplished the eternal redemption of his people. Now this salvation is not just a legal state before God, like a, a legal state that we have, but we will not participate in, we will not enjoy until we get to heaven. Salvation in Christ involves a whole lot more than checking boxes on a piece of paper, checking boxes on a legal document. And all those, all those legal requirements, they had to be fulfilled, didn't it? But salvation is much more than that. Salvation 
involves God giving his people spiritual life. We're dead and he gives life. He causes there to be a birth and he gives spiritual life to his people. Now we still have a nature of flesh. We still live a life in the world, but that spiritual life that's in, in a believer, it affects our natural life. Not as much as we wish it would, <laughs> but it affects it, doesn't it? It directs it. And I want to spend the rest of my time this evening looking at this spiritual life, this salvation that Christ the Savior brings his people. Number one, the spiritual life God gives his people is the result of God's promise. In verse one, look at it again. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. In verse seven, Sarah said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? Let me tell you who would have said that. God did. God did. He promised that. Salvation is life. It's a new spiritual life that's given to the believer in the new birth. And you see that pictured in the birth of Isaac. The very reason that Isaac was born at this time was because of a promise God made to Abraham. And he made that promise 25 years ago. After 25 years, do we start to doubt God's going to keep his promise? No, he made that promise 25 years ago, prior to the birth of Isaac, and when the time came, when the appointed time came, that child was born. And if you think about it, the only way that Isaac could have been born to a mother who's 90 years old and a father who's 100 years old is if God promised that child would be born. God promised he'd be born and then God had to be the one to make it happen because the flesh couldn't do it. A 90-year-old mother, a 100-year-old father, they can't produce life. They can't produce a child. So God had to promise it and then he had to make it happen. But you know, God's people have spiritual life for the exact same reason. Because God promised it. You and I cannot produce spiritual life in ourselves when we try to produce life all we all we can produce is more sinful flesh if we try to to produce some sort of spiritual life some sort of righteousness you know we think we can have before god by our works they're not getting a job done all our works of the law all our works of, of religion all our works of morality can produce our filthy rags that cannot please god that as a matter of fact, offend God. I mean, you think, oh, we're going to offer these works. I'm going to live so good and offer these works to God. Nothing could be more offensive to God Almighty than that. The best we can produce is offensive to God. Spiritual life is the result of God's covenant of grace. When before God created anything, God promised. That's what a covenant is. It's a promise. God promised he would give Spiritual life to his people. And here's why he's going to give spiritual life to his people. Because his son in this covenant of grace agreed he's going to die the death that, that they deserve. Christ dies the death his people deserve so God's elect can live. See, this promise of God, that's the only way eternal life can be sure. If there was a way God gave for us to earn life by our works, 
it wouldn't be sure. Well, I guess it would be sure. It'd be sure to fail. It'd be sure to fail. The only way we can receive eternal life is if God promised to give it to us in his covenant of grace. And again, God always keeps his promise. Always. You know, a promise of God is just as sure as a past act of God. It's just as sure because God always keeps his promise. God promised the birth of Isaac. Sure enough, Isaac was born. God promised the birth of Christ. And seemingly when all hope was lost, Christ was born in Bethlehem. The only people that saw it were a few, few, I guess, farmhands and a few shepherds. That's about it. But he was born. God promises to give his people eternal life. And that promise is based on a foundation of something. God promises to give his, his people eternal life because Christ put their sin away. Well, I'm telling you, sure enough, they're all going to be born again. They're going to be born again through the preaching of the gospel. And when it's time, every last one of them is going to appear in glory. Someone asked me recently about, about preaching and, and, and getting discouraged. And, you know, I guess we could all get discouraged, but um, my honest answer was this. No, I'm not, I'm not discouraged in the least. I'm not discouraged in the least. The preaching of Christ is going to accomplish God's purpose. It's going to, to call out every one of God's sheep. I don't have to see to it. God will see to it. I don't have to drag him in here. God will do it. I mean, you know, we invite people to, you know, try to give them links to sermon audio. Well, we used to give cassettes. You know, now we give, uh, now we give them a link to a, a message or something. But God's going to make sure his people hear it. And I don't have to convince them. I don't have to be a salesperson. God will do that. God, the Holy Spirit will do that. All of God's people are going to be born again. They're going to be brought to Christ by the preaching of Christ. God's sheep are going to be fed. They're going to be comforted. That life is going to be fed by the preaching of Christ. Well, that makes it pretty simple then, doesn't it? Just preach Christ. <laughs> Just preach Christ. God's going to give his people eternal life. I know that as much as I know anything at all. Don't you? We know that God's going to give his people eternal life. No matter what happens, they're going to have, have life. They're going to know Christ. We know that. But you know that doesn't make a believer fatalistic in the least. Knowing that God's sovereign. Knowing that God always does his will. Knowing that God's promised to save a people. And he will save them by the preaching of the gospel. That makes a believer, that drives a believer to prayer. I can't think of a better reason to pray and ask God to save me that he promised he's going to save sinners. I can't think of a better reason to pray for, for our family, our friends, our loved ones that don't know the Lord. I can't think of a better reason to pray for them than this. God promised he's going to save sinners. Oh, pray. And, and when, I've said this so many times when we pray. Every time we can find the, the way to do it, plead with God by pleading his word, by pleading his promises. He'll always keep them. He'll always, he'll always keep them. This spirit, you see how this spiritual life, it, it directs our life here below, doesn't it? 
right? Number two, and I kind of touched on this a minute ago, spiritual life is a miracle. Verse two, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You know, there it is again. This is, this is happening because of God's promise at the set time by God. Now at this time, Abraham and Sarah are 90 and 100 years old. I have known very few people that lived to be 100 years old. But they, uh, their bodies had gotten pretty frail at that time. 90 and 100. Sarah had gone through menopause many years ago. It's physically impossible for her to have a son. So if Sarah's going to give birth to a son, God's going to have to perform a miracle in me. God's going to have to perform a miracle and give life where there is none. He's going to have to give life where it's impossible for the flesh to produce life. And that's just what God did. I thought about this today. Not only does this dead womb of a 90-year-old woman have to conceive. God's got to make that dead womb conceive. Then the womb of this 90-year-old woman has got to support that baby for nine months. It's got to form everything it forms in there and feed the baby and all these things, you know. And then after that, after nine months of lugging this baby around in her 90-year-old body, Sarah somehow has to come up with the energy to give birth to this baby. (laughs) It's a miracle. God did that to give the life that he promised. You think about this promise. God first made this promise to Abraham one night. Abraham was along with God 25 years ago. Well, okay, God made this promise. Sarah's going to have a son. I mean, maybe a woman 65 and a man 75, maybe they could, they could have a child. I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, it would be very unusual, but it's not completely unheard of. So you know what God did? He waited 25 years until all hope in the flesh was gone. And then God performed this miracle so that everybody would know Sarah got pregnant and Sarah gave birth by the power and will of God. It couldn't have come by the power of the flesh. It had to come by the power of God. It couldn't come from the will of the flesh. If this thing was going to happen by the will of the flesh, Sarah would have had 12 sons by now, wouldn't she? It didn't come by the will of the flesh. It came by the will of God. It happened supernaturally. This is something everybody had to say. This is something only God could do. Well, you know, spiritual life comes the very same way. It's supernatural. It's mysterious. Spiritual life can't come from the flesh. One of the things that grates on my very last nerve is people saying, well, you make this decision, you walk this aisle, you get dunked in the water, you do this, or you do that, or you straighten up, and you promise to act better, you'll have spiritual life. Well, there's no mystery to that. There's just no mystery to that. Spiritual life is mysterious. It cannot come from the flesh, from the will of the flesh or the doing of the flesh. You know, going back to the birth of just a human baby for a minute. It's utterly amazing any time a human baby is ever born. 
I mean, what it takes to conceive that baby and that baby to grow in that mother's womb and have a live birth, I mean, it's, it's just utterly amazing. It's a miracle of life that um, just because it happens so often, I mean, here we all are, and we were all born one day. I mean, you know, it happens so often, we lose sight of the fact this thing's a miracle. But spiritual life, that's a miracle that no sinner who's been born again ever takes for granted. God gave me life when I couldn't produce it, when I was dead. This thing is a supernatural thing. God, the Holy Spirit, birthed life in me when it was absolutely impossible. And He's not going to do it until all hope in the flesh is gone. I'll use Saul of Tarsus as an example. Saul, he said, I thought I was alive without the law once. Boy, I thought I was something. As, as touching the righteousness which is in the law outwardly, Paul said, blameless. He said, but when I saw what the law said, I died. See, we've got to die. We've got to see there's no hope in me. And when all hope is gone, that's when God moves in this miraculous way and gives life. <laughs> and God doing it that way, not only do we see this is a miracle of God, it really makes it sweeter. Doesn't it? it makes the grace of it. It makes the love of it. It makes the condescension of it so much sweeter. When you think about what happens when a sinner is born again, I've seen this happen countless times. Here's a uninterested person. Here they are, though, in the congregation. For whatever reason, they're, they're, they're a child and they don't have, have a choice. You know, their parents make the rules, they come to service. Maybe, uh, you know, it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or Brother Henry said one time, he said, our, our young ladies are our best missionaries, you know. For whatever reason, the person's here. And they're, maybe they're going to have a, have a church dinner and they think, well, it's a free meal, you know, they come. Well, for whatever reason, they're uninterested. But there they sit. Listening to the gospel preached. And they may sit there a good while. This is probably a, you know, a, a pretty intelligent person. They can understand what the preacher's saying. I mean, the gospel is so simple. Our children understand it. If when I'm preaching to you don't understand, that's on me. <laughs> you know, we, the gospel's simple to understand. But what we can't produce is a love for it. We can't produce in ourselves a need for Christ. So we don't believe it. I mean, the reason people don't believe the gospel is they don't think they need it. it the question is a question of need. But there they sit. And maybe they sit there for a while. And at some point, and it, they more than likely don't even realize exactly when it first happened, something changes. Now not only do they understand what the preacher's saying, I understand salvation is by substitution and satisfaction. Christ suffered and died in my place so I can live. That's as simple as ABC. But suddenly they start loving it. And not just loving it, they find themselves believing Christ. If I can say it this way, there, there's a difference in saying, oh, I, you know, I believe the gospel. And I, and I do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying it that way. But Sean, I believe Christ. There's a difference there. I don't just believe the gospel's true. 
I believe on Christ. I'm right happy to cast my soul on him and leave all the responsibility to him. Now they hear the gospel, not just as it makes sense, not just as does the outline flow smoothly. Now they hear the gospel as good news. You know why it's good news? Because now they need him. Now they need Christ. <laughs> now they need mercy. Now they need forgiveness. So the gospel becomes good news to them. Now they don't say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I mean, this preacher keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again from different texts every week. Now they need to hear it again and again and again and again. I need to hear again. How is it Christ saved his people from their sins? I'm out there in the, in the salt mines slugging through this world best way I know how. I'm so ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of my faith. I'm ashamed of my failures. I'm ashamed of my weakness. I'm ashamed of my sin. I'm just, oh, tell me again. Christ loves his people and he'll never let them go. He chose them when they were sinners. He died for them while they were yet sinners. He's not going to let go of them because they're sinners. Because you know why? They're precious to him. How precious are they to him? He shed his precious blood. To redeem him. Tell me again. He's not going to let me go. Tell me again. About the glory of his person. Tell me again about his. His beauty. His sufficiency. Tell me again how. How he's so gracious and tender to sinners. Tell me again. I need to hear this again. Over and over again. So my heart's assured. So my heart's comforted. Some of you all right now. Either right now or in the very recent past. Have gone through deep. Deep, deep, dark, difficult trials. And your heart needs comfort, doesn't it? And the only way it can be comforted is here in Christ. But you know, just going to work and having a normal Wednesday at work, <laughs> that's enough. I need my heart comforted. I mean, just going, hey, say this about myself. I try the best I can never to set foot in Walmart. I mean, ordering online is the best thing I ever heard of. But if I had to go to Walmart, my heart needs comfort. I mean, it's just getting through this world. It's just what will comfort your heart? Tell me of Christ one more time. Point me to him. Let me see him. What happened? How did this uninterested person suddenly start loving this and needing it and believing it? God performed a miracle and gave life before eternity, before creation, back in eternity when there was only God, God promised at this set time, I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal myself to this sinner. And he kept his promise. That's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit blew where he listed and came through and blessed the preaching of God's word and gave life. Now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. I mean, you can't exactly explain how all that happened exactly. But I'm telling you what, if the Holy Spirit did it, you sure do know it. <laughs> Now, you know, if your mama did it, your daddy did it, your girlfriend did it. Eh. But if the Holy Spirit did it, you know it. You know it. It's a miracle. A birth, it's a miracle. God, the Holy Spirit, performs for his people. All right, number three. Spiritual life has to come through obedience to the law. Verse four. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, here's why this point's important. God cannot give spiritual life to somebody that doesn't deserve it. 
If God gives us what we deserve by our works, by our nature, He'll damn every last one of us. Because what is the wages of sin? What do you earn by sin? Death. As Scripture says, God can't give life to somebody if He violate His justice to do it. So the salvation of God's people, now it has to come through the obedience to the law, but it can't be our obedience to the law. Because we can't, we can't obey God's law for a split second. So salvation, the spiritual life, comes to God's people through the obedience of Christ. Through Christ our federal head. See, Adam, he made his race to be sinners. He made his race to be unrighteous by his disobedience to the law. Christ makes his people, his race, righteous, pure, holy, perfect by his obedience to the law. And that's what's pictured by the circumcision of, of Isaac. Isaac had to be circumcised to obey the law. This was God's commandment. Now here's the thing. Isaac didn't circumcise himself to obey the law. He's only eight days old. He can't do anything. Can he? Somebody else has got to do it for him. And that's just what the Lord Jesus Christ did for his people. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans the 5th chapter. Christ saved his people when they could not do anything for themselves. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, dead, filthy, vile sinners, Christ died for us. God's elect didn't have the ability to do anything for themselves spiritually. They couldn't do something for themselves spiritually any more than that eight-day-old baby could do anything for himself physically. So the Lord Jesus Christ came and did it for them. While they were yet sinners, Christ died for us and gave his people life and faith to do one thing. Nothing. To look to Christ by faith and depend on him. Depending on Christ means we do nothing. God gave us the faith to do one thing, which is nothing. Just rest in Christ. See, the reason God's elect have life, that you can't say this often enough, that the miracle, the graciousness of it, the reason God's elect have life is because Christ died the death that they deserve. And his obedience made his people righteous. And the bloody sacrifice of Christ washed away the sin of God's people. Because of his blood, God's elect, every last one of them, are white as snow. There's not a speck of sin on them anywhere. Now, the only reason for death is sin, right? There is death everywhere that there's sin. But where there is no sin, there can't be death. It's impossible. Well, Christ made his people without sin. So the life he gives them is eternal life. That they can never lose. And I love this about the way God saves his people. The very same law. The very same justice of God. That demands our death. That demands our damnation for, for our sin in Adam. 
also demands our life in Christ. Because of Christ, his, his sacrifice satisfied justice for his people. So God's elect must have life. It came through the law. God's justice demands it. And here's the last thing. Spiritual life brings great joy. In verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. I promise you this. Abraham and Sarah did not look at the birth of Isaac. Like this is a, uh, a textbook kind of thing. Well, God you know, made this promise and he fulfilled it. And that's just a doctrinal truth. They didn't consider the birth of Isaac to be a doctrinal idea that they could use to argue with the Amalekites and the Egyptians and the people around them about the sovereignty of God. On the day Isaac was born, I promise you this. There's some things recorded here that Sarah said. We don't know what else she said, but I promise you she didn't say this. She said, well, whatever will be, will be, because, you know, God's will be done. She didn't say that. On the day Isaac was born, his parents celebrated in joy. And brother, they should have. This precious child is God's gift to them. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. Not only is this a son born to a mother that's 90 years old. This child, the Messiah is going to come through him. That's joy. And I hope that's the way we always react to hearing the gospel. Now, if we're going to preach the gospel, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody to be uh, get down on, on doctrine, you know, like doctrine's a bad word. If we're going to preach the gospel, there must be sound doctrine. There's got to be true, doc, true scriptural teaching. But that doctrine should produce joy. That doctrine shouldn't produce somebody that that wants to argue and, and fuss and fight and, you know, looking for these little fine points and secret points of doctrine, where there is true, good, sound doctrine, good, solid doctrinal preaching, there has to be joy. Has to be. It's good doctrine to preach. Salvation comes from God's covenant of grace. Now, if you don't have joy, in God's covenant of grace. His promise to save people without their works, but by His grace, you don't have a need. <laughs> it's good doctrine to preach salvation comes from the will of God, not the will of man. Salvation is not a decision that man makes. That's why nobody here is trying to talk you in, into a decision. I mean, all you're doing is just like flipping over, but it's like a pancake you know you cook it on one side you just flip it over you still got a pancake just making a decision salvation is a decision god made for time began he chose a people to save those people are going to be saved that's good doctrine it's good doctrine to preach christ died for his elect and only his elect it's good doctrine to distress that to to i mean drive that point home 
And here's why. It's for the joy of God's people. If Christ died for his elect, and only his elect, he's the successful Savior, and he'll not lose one to Father gave him. Now that's joy. That's joy and comfort to the hearts of God's people. It's good doctrine to preach that when God's people are born again, they now live in a body with two separate, distinct natures. They have the same nature of flesh and sin that they always did have, and now they got a new nature. A nature that's righteous and holy and can never sin. And both of those natures are me. And I'm not schizophrenic. I'm one person. That's good doctrine. But the gospel of Christ, this good doctrine, who Christ is, what Christ has accomplished, that's reason for God's people to rejoice and to celebrate. If we only see the the gospel, as a reason to pick apart the doctrinal beliefs of others. If we only see the gospel as a reason to be proud, I mean, the error of that statement is just inherent in it, isn't it? If I see the gospel as a reason to be proud, whatever you put after that is wrong. But if I see the gospel as a reason to be proud, I know something somebody else doesn't. <laughs> Look at them. I can't believe they don't know I do. What do you have? God didn't give you. What do you know God didn't teach you? If that's the way we think, you see, we've missed the gospel altogether, haven't we? The gospel is the good news of what Christ has accomplished for his people. I pray that always make us rejoice. That we rejoice in the Lord. That we rejoice in God's salvation. You know, at this very moment, that's what the saints in glory are doing. Now, I can't do it as perfectly as they are, because I'm a body of flesh and a body of sin. But I sure do want to start now. I want to start rejoicing in Christ. I want to start celebrating Him now. I want to start finding my joy and happiness in Him now because of who He is and what He's done for His people. All right. Well, I pray the Lord bless that to you. Let's bow together. Father, how we thank you for this wonderful picture of Christ our Savior. The salvation, the life that he brings to his people and puts in us. Father, we're so thankful. Oh, I pray, Father, that you'd cause our hearts to rejoice in Christ our Savior. That we'd have reason to, for happiness and true heart joy. Even if we're crying in sorrow and in pain and heartache that you'd still yet give us a heart that would able be able to rejoice in Christ our Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have, Father. Cause us to, to rest in Him more fully, to depend on Him more completely, to find a, a true joy in Him more often. It's in His precious name, for His sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.